ABMP, Associated Bodywork Massage Professionals, is proud to sponsor the interdisciplinary podcast from HealWell. Membership with ABMP offers comprehensive liability insurance, along with meaningful resources and support that make a difference in your career, including free CE in the ABMP Education Center, quick reference apps like 5-Minute Muscles and Pocket Pathology, Pocket Suite Scheduling and Booking Software, and the Inspirational Massage and Bodywork Magazine. Discover why members expect more and get more at abmp.com. Hello and welcome to Interdisciplinary HealWell's Healthcare Podcast. This week we are really excited to bring you part two of our conversation with Francis Reed. Um, if you have not heard part one yet, I encourage you to go back and have a listen to that. We just had such a great time talking about all the things. So I am happy to let this loose on you so you can hear even more from Francis Reed. But First, they will not they will not let me get up out of this chair until there is a pun. So, um y'all, I'm I'm trying to cook more and um I was working in my kitchen and yesterday I accidentally swallowed some food coloring. The doctor says I'm okay, but I feel like I've died a little inside. <laughs> All right. If you are done moaning and groaning and uh over that pun, then here is the smart stuff with Francis Reed. Enjoy. I um on Instagram I follow baby otters and a couple spiritual teachers. And uh yesterday, um in my feed of baby otters, Ram Das uh popped in and I had never seen this quote before, but uh it said, Patience is not something you develop out of choice. It's something you develop because you see that nothing else works. And this is one of the things that I wonder about the younger folks is that I was a dick in my twenties and thirties kind of like, because I was mad about being a freak, right? Like (laughs) you don't push my freak buttons. I know I'm a freak. Get out of here. Right. (laughs) And like now, right. Exactly. You beat your chest and you're like, yeah, this is trans. Um, I mean, I didn't, did I just say I was trans? I didn't mean that. I just, I'm just a little different. Um, (laughs) and that like at 46, I can be patient because it was patient even getting here. Mm -hmm. And like, there weren't options to change. Like people were definitely not asking me my pronouns, but like, it was, it was kind of all or nothing in terms of like, you know, the idea of gender confirmation surgery, like 25, 30 years ago was not a thing. And the patients that I've had the, the benefit to develop over the last 30 years of figuring out what am I mm-hmm. makes me so much more compassionate for people who don't haven't traveled this road. Yeah. And I think that there's, I, I want younger people to have access to all the things. So that's great. And I think, like you said, we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> you know, I mean, my lived experience is that it's been incredibly valuable to have to figure it out for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that when you don't, necessarily have to do that in the same way you don't cultivate that patience you become impatient like 
you seriously didn't ask me my pronouns. What kind of like heathen are you? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, actually that's not how most people interact. I mean, I can't wait for that to be how the world is, but like the way we get there is actually by you being like, oh, let me just tell you about this thing that you have no reason to know about. Yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah, it is patience that, that I, I'm just still reeling from how great of a quote that is. Um, and, and I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head. There just, there's, you know, an entitlement that comes from learned experience. It's yeah. not that younger people are bad. <laughs> it's that if something has always happened that way, and then you meet, and then you're in an environment where it doesn't, you're like, um, and then it also intersects. Like you said, I was also, I mean, I think of some of the things that I had such certainty about in my twenties and schooled my, you know, I think about my, my <laughs> boss when I was in my twenties and the things that I schooled him on, um, and God bless his patience. Um, because I thought I knew the, you know, it is part of the developmental stage of your late teens and twenties to believe, you know, everything. And thank God that's true. Cause a lot of our social movements would never go anywhere true without that. people who are out there pissed as hell and taking no, you know, taking no shit. Yeah. But, um, you know, and so like developmentally, I try to remember like, okay, that's, that is there. They don't have fully formed brains to have long-term thinking. Like I'm no, you, you know, said it's with biology, no, it's just <laughs> biology. Yes. Exactly. Um, but the, the question to your point is if their world keeps growing up with them in a way that they I celebrate, like you do, don't have to fight the same hate and the same invisibility and the same um resistance they're likely to develop some patience about some other things but not about these things because they're not going to have they're not going to have to develop patience because nothing else works because something else does work yeah and they'll develop patience about something else you know i think about when i was in my 20s and i'm sure i mean not just my 20s my whole life, like as long as I can remember, you know, the idea that my grandmother still used the N word or talked about the colored ladies at the nursing home. I had zero tolerance for that. I thought it was unacceptable and we needed to school Nana and get Nana out of that. And I remember arguments with my dad where he was like, listen, Nana, yeah. Nana's Nana. Yeah, That's good luck not with that. Something Nana's going to change now. And it was really, really hard, right? Because I had no experience in my life to teach me that that was okay in any environment, right? Like it had never been okay in my entire life. How could it still be okay for somebody else? Now I, th- I reflect on that a lot when I think about the patients that I have grown into. And the way I talk to people about learning new language and walk people through those really, really hard changes, even when they want with all their heart to make them. 
I'm curious about two things that I, I think sort of go together, but um, the sort of performative code switch that you do. Um, and I guess we all, we all do it. I don't know what it's like to be someone who doesn't, who isn't wondering if they're gay in their twenties and wondering about their gender and whatever. But I know that I did a Me lot either. of, I did a lot of performative code switching in my twenties um, and either. sort of like, wait, am I butch? Am I queer? Am I, Oh, what if I wear these jeans? What if I wear this like sparkly headband? Like, you know, um, here are the words I'm going to choose in the music. But part of one of the things I wonder when you talk about the kids um, is that that we, I, I experience inside myself a sense of sort of um, the meritocracy of identity formation and the sort of idea like what, what kind of generation do we cultivate if you never have to fight for who you are? If you're just seen all the time by everybody in every setting, what happens then? Like, uh -huh. I, I mean, I, I, sadly, I don't think we'll ever get to know, but uh, partly we won't get to know because I know I'm a little afraid about that. And I, my belief is that part of what creates movements and part of what like is the fire in me is how hard I've had to fight to discover and embody who I am. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder if I had been seen sooner would I have landed in the wrong place? Would I have not developed the kind of like antenna that I have now to notice when like, I, I don't know. And I, yeah. but I, I noticed the sort of colonialist thinking about that and the sort of like, you know, right. I worked for this. I'm mm -hmm. paying my student loans, damn it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I, my only I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think I roll around, roll those marbles around in my head all the time when thinking about this stuff too. Um, and I do think a lot about the generational stuff. And I think my hope in that is that we, each generation, we struggle with new things. We fight with new ways that we're unseen. And so we're each pushing the envelope on an, on the next, the next, uh, growth edge just like you know people somewhere between me and my nana pushed that growth edge around racist language and right. you know people young people now are pushing a growth edge around um around white supremacy and colonialism and capitalism and some of those things with language we didn't have um and i you know it scares me. And so I lean into the hope because I, you know, I grew up queer in Texas, in South Texas. Like there were so many things about who I am in the world that were forged in that environment and what it was to find myself and to save myself and to find community in that environment. I learned so much from, you know, my elders. Um, and that isn't, that isn't the culture in queerness anymore. And I know there's lots of us, my, our age and older that are struggling with that, right? There's the, there's the gay men who survived um, and lost all of their friends to AIDS. And now the young gay men don't like AIDS isn't a thing. Nope. It's a, you know, you take prep and you don't worry about it. And, you know, safe sex isn't a thing. And, and they don't know about the history 
of those fights. You know, I, I just think, you know, and, and, and you can say the same for, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's just so much in the, in the lesbian community that fought so hard to around gender and and particularly gender nonconformity, right? Like not yet getting to, um, you know, transgender identity, but just pushing against the idea that there were, you know, one way to be a woman. And, you know, that, that generation feels really unseen by this younger generation who sometimes will go really on rampages about butch femme dynamics. And you know what? Those, those 60 year old butches do not need to be coming out as genderqueer. We do not need to make them stop. They worked hard to embrace womanhood. Right. And construct it to be what they, their true self. And I, you know, I spent years in that, you know, in that identity group as well. And so, you know, it's like, wow, this, this lack of translation between generations, um, it's, it's, it's scary to think where, what kind of erasure is ahead of us, but it's hopeful to try and think about what growth might be there from these youngins who want to burn it all down. You know, there's some things that need to be burnt down. Yeah. I also think technology is something we're really contending with, with that, because I think these changes are happening much faster and much more micro generational things. Um, So, you know, the new, the, the rate at which we're creating new language is much faster than the rate at which our elders created new language within queerness and gender and, you know, sexuality. So, so much so much interesting stuff about where we're headed. Sticking with the language piece, we we educate humans at Healwell, but um, particularly humans who um, profess to be caring for other humans, either professionally or as lay people. And um, I was just actually reading an article in Massage Business Blueprint where they were talking about ways to be socially conscious in your business. And I love that these two cisgendered straight people are writing about one of the ways to be socially conscious in your practice is to notice, you know, you were talking about ladies. And I feel like every time somebody comes up to our table when we're out for dinner and they're like, hi, ladies, first of all, I'm often like, you're paying no attention. Really? Like, really? <laughs> right. And and it's interesting. There is this subtle thing where sometimes you can see that a person sees you and knows you're female. But still, I wonder, like, if I'm presenting this way, do I want to be called a lady? Anyway, probably a whole nother podcast. Read but the- Read the room. Read the room. Right. But I always say, you know what would be great? And if you would like to be tipped, you're going to need to stop calling us ladies. Um, And I'll just say, addition of the tipping. I I hadn't thrown that. I really want to tip you. And your chances are going to increase if you just call me Cal. This is Carrie. We're, you know, great to meet you. Um, I I think it drives Carrie a little crazy that I just want to be friends with all of our servers. But, um, But when we think about, the words that we use. And in this article in Massage Business Blueprint, they were talking about, notice even how, do you, what kind of terminology do you say partner or spouse, or do you say husband or wife? And like, are there words that certainly trans people have a, a poor track record of accessing healthcare 
And primarily that is because when we have a healthcare encounter, it's really dehumanizing and um, just generally we don't feel seen. So Mm -hmm. I would rather be sick (laughs) than go be treated badly and erased. Um, Mm -hmm. So if there are there, are there providers you've seen who've done a great job? Are there words that providers use that you're like, wow, so you're not my provider anymore? Or like, (laughs) if you see those words on that website, you're like, yeah, you don't understand my lived experience at all. Yeah. Um, I have, I have the great, good, the great, I have the good fortune of living here in Washington, DC, having amazing trans affirming primary care. Um, and so I have this, uh, but then, you know, go to a specialist for anything you need and all bets are off. And what that, when I was reflecting on, on this podcast before, we got on, I was thinking about how that gives me such an interesting um, parallel every time, because I'm almost always going to the primary care about the issue and then getting the referral to the specialist. And, um, and so I know what I was able to say in, in the place that was completely comfortable. And then I know what the specialist, what I, what I selectively say to the specialist as I'm feeding them a little bit of information at a time to decide how much more I want to say. And I, you know, I definitely read the room. I walk in and go, you are never going to get on this, you know, like yeah. you're never going to see me. So <laughs> not, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, the hard part is when you have, when they intersect and it's a doctor that needs to know that I take testosterone and I don't see them as somebody who is going to be able to hold that space and get it. Um, so I do. I mean, I think I think there isn't, you know, there aren't very many people from marginalized identities who don't scour materials for the language that says something about acceptance. And I look for, you know, when I'm looking for when I'm looking for a provider that I, I think is a provider I'm going to create a relationship with, I'm really looking at their material to see if they're using language that de-emphasizes gender. You know, are they saying, you know, if I see something that says people of all genders, bam, I know you've gone to, that is not natural language. <laughs> right. You have, you have chosen that language. So if I see that, I close the website and call and make the appointment. Um, if I get something from a doctor or, or a staff person at, you know, by email and it has their pronouns. Yes. If I'm looking at their bios and even if it's all people with binary identities, but they all have their pronouns, I'm looking for these things where you went, you had to work to put the right thing in. So that's my first choice. And then my second choice is you haven't put anything in that is outright offensive, right? Like the things that are there make room for me. You know, I, I think, you know, it can, and I'm trying to think of an example of that. And, and I'm, I'm not actually coming up with one, but you know it when you see it and you're like, Hmm. Okay. I'm going to go, well, I'm going to go to my dermatologist. Like I'm, I'm looking for a dermatologist and the way I 
I didn't, I knew none of my options had any kind of active pro proactive language around gender. So instead I looked at the pictures that they had chosen and I picked the one that seemed the the least beauty culture because that was the best indicator I could get of which of these practices is likely to embrace the most of who I am. Yeah. Right. Like it's not going to be much. Right. (laughs) I'm going to a dermatologist and I have hairy legs, hairy armpits and facial hair. Yeah. Who's going to be, who's going to roll with that? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, right. And, and that's, you know, and so it's, it's a combination of how low is the bar and what are you, what are you, what can you deduce from a distance? Um, and you know, that can be, but you know, sometimes as you're working with very, very, very little. Yeah. Um, well, and you're, and you are super savvy. I mean, I think this is a place where code switching is straight up dangerous because as a trans person, as a insert othered population mm-hmm. seeking care, you will, you read those signals. And I don't know that a lot of people actually go to the website or, you know, like make any attempt to interact ahead of time. Um, I think a, because they maybe aren't going to know, you know, they aren't going to like what they find. So they'd rather not look, yeah, but I think, just, I think yeah. people assume that it's, it's just going to be okay. But then you don't even notice the ways that you're making yourself small, that you're leaving out like really important endocrine information or really important anything about your body and history that might indicate that you are quote different. And so you go and you have your annual physical or you have whatever kind of care you're receiving and that provider doesn't actually know who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's so automatic that, you know, one of the things we see in the Healwell community really often either in our chats or in our live office hours events is folks who uh, are not from a historically excluded community saying, how do I signal that I'm an accepting provider? Yeah. And I think like you you pointed to a lot of ways that people can do that. The language on your website, the one of the things that I just recently had a weird thing where I think what really happened is the first provider I saw forgot to test me for COVID and probably I had COVID. But lots and lots of dollars later and lots of specialist visits later, um, I found out that there's nothing wrong with me. However, I got to sample a lot of different providers. And given that I thought something serious was wrong with my heart, I went to the people they told me to go to. Yeah. You know? And so I went to this one practice and their form was incredibly inclusive. Their staff not so much. I was like, oh my gosh, they're asking about my gender. They're asking about my pronouns. They're asking for my legal name and my preferred name. Nobody read the form. Nope. I mean, so it's like you can change your form, but your form has to be mirrored by your behavior and your language. And so don't be a performative signaler of acceptance. You actually have to integrate that. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I have a whole, I have a, a slide towards the end of my, my part one cultural competency class that is just don't oversell yourself. It is dangerous. And if you're somebody out there listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh, those are great ways for me to signal that I'm good with trans people. Be really thoughtful about, you know, y- y- you can say too much that if you can't back it up, you are actually making that person 
unsafe because we come in with our guard down. And so, you know, if you're going to ask those things on your form, everybody needs to know how to access that and know that name, you know, because if you ask me my, you know, my pronouns, I expect them to be used and I expect them to be somewhere in your files so that when I come in the next time, you're using them then too. Yeah. And I, you know, I know the difference when I get there, whether or not like instantly, whether or not you're really trans affirming or if you're just okay with trans people. Right. Two different things, yo. (laughs) That's true. And I mean, you know, you and I are laughing and Rebecca and Corey are like, oh yeah. But Mm -hmm. like, I really want to make sure people don't miss that, that like, None of us want to be tolerated, certainly not by a provider. I want who and what I am and my experience to be affirmed. I want you to be willing and able to be curious about what is happening for me. And that I feel like, you know, we talk about cultural competency, cultural humility, and that like, you don't, you're never going to know how to do it right with and for everybody, but you can get real good at what we call learning in public right? You can get real good at being like, I am so sorry. I asked if you have a husband that I didn't, please tell me, do you have a person in your life who supports you? Because my question Mm -hmm. is, will someone be there to make sure that you wake up and take your medicine? Um, But I just assumed that you're a lady, so you should have a husband person. And, you know, we shouldn't have to, you and I are comfortable being advocates for ourselves, but it's still exhausting. And it's so swell and fun when you don't have to be. (laughs) It's so swell. So swell. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about like, as you're having this conversation, I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. So this is like us, those of us who want to be allies, who want to be affirming, um, need to figure out how to make our space, if we are care providers, a space where you can exhale like you could at the coffee shop. Not mm-hmm. just a little exhale to release the pressure, but to actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fully yeah. deflate. Fully deflate. Fully right. deflate. Yeah. Yeah. Just drape over the chair. Yeah. 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 And you know what I, I, you know, what I tell people at the end of the, at the end of my class, when they're asking that kind of question, or we're just ending on that note, I send them a huge list of people to follow on social media and publications to read. Because if you want to be a place where I can exhale, you need to know the you need to know more about my existence and the existence of my community than just the rules you were taught about how to be affirming. Affirming is knowing that people exist in a way that is different than you and having paid attention to what it is. You're never going to be an expert in my community. I'm not an expert. You know, I, yeah, I live in I don't here. know what it is to be a, a cis woman in your fifties. I really don't. And there are things that I would get wrong if I tried to guess too much. And certainly if I tried to play along, I'd really mess some things up. Right. So, you know, and like a a, a more, um, a more serious example might be, you know, if I try, I am not a human that's ever been pregnant. I don't have kids. I know that when I am interacting with people who are pregnant or parents, that I need to bring an enormous amount of humility, you know, not a parent. <laughs> I will admit that. I will ask questions that intentionally don't have any like of my 
assumptions or to the best of my ability, don't have any assumptions about what is true for them. Cause I don't know. I've never been nauseous in my first trimester. Like I've been nauseous, (laughs) but it's not the same. Not the same. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's like, you know, if I'm going to do pregnancy massage though, if I'm going to do postpartum work, I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to do some homework. If that were going to suddenly be the the real emphasis of my practice, I'm going to really take the time to read more about perinatal health. And I'm going to pay attention, you know, whether that's on social media or whatever else, I'm going to plug in. Um, And if you don't do that piece, you're not trans affirming. Like I, I wish we had um, I wish we had coded language. I'm, I'm in a, uh, a group on social media uh, that's about, it's called Safe on My Table. And it's for um, body workers who work with, uh, who want to be transit affirming. And at some point, somebody very smart put in a, a thing with like, sound off whether you are someone who hasn't, you know, and I don't remember what the steps were, but basically the first one is you accept trans people, you know, like you're, you trans people are good people and no different from any other person all the way up through. I specialize in healthcare for trans people. And in between there is, you know, I, you know, have done a little bit of study and how, you know, I don't know what the, there were four, there were four total and it was really helpful. And I think it would be like in an ideal world, if Francis ran the world, the like, I think we can say when, when you run the world, this is how, this is how it will be. Please continue. Actually, you know what, Cal, I just finished running a business for 10 years. I don't want to run any world. Solid, solid. Yes, fair. Um, I am not someone, I am not a human that is meant to run the world. I will speak to the world. I will <laughs> be big in the world, but I don't think I want to run in anything. <laughs> anyway, I, um, what was I saying? Uh, we when we I had coded world, language. Everybody would use that language to explain what level of showing up they could do. And then I could make that decision. And I would know that I'm, I, I, you know, I would know what I'm getting. Um, I, I'm going to throw it in here because it's such a, it's such an important example of on the receiving care for me. Um, so I went to, uh, this was years ago. I had a um, an injury from binding that was really severe. I had a displaced rib and we couldn't figure out where it was or how to get it back. Or, oh, it was awful. And I went to everybody I could think of to work on this. And I wanted to do some energy work to see, um, you know, I wanted to do some energy work. And I through friends of friends, somebody who I'd been in massage school with and whatever, I met somebody who I thought could do this work. I thought could see me, could be with, but it was definitely a place where I was going to have to explain a lot about my gender and my gender expression in the world because it was about binding. And I got on the table and I put all that out there to this person. I assumed from the shared connections. I made some assumptions. 
Um, and I, I get there and I share all of my, my basis for the appointment. I get on the table, we're doing some work. And then she says, she asks me some question about, I think she asked me like, I'm confused. You say you don't identify as a man or a woman. And what does that mean? Or something like that, right? So there's sort of this open-ended, hard to tell where she's coming from question. And I start to answer it and I, I get an answer out. And I'm sort of thinking, gosh, I'm trying to do energy work. This is really the wrong time to be asking me this, which is definitely something that plays into code switching. Sometimes I'm like, what I'm here for, I really need to do without simultaneously doing work. And that energy work may be the, the pinnacle of that yeah. definition, right? Like I need to be focused on me. And so I finished this and I'm really trying to get back to a grounded place for what I'm receiving. And she says, now you see, when I look at you, I see a beautiful woman. Oh, been there. And I can hear her attempt at something affirming. But wow, I should have. And if I, you know, if this, this was 10 years ago, I think now the person I am, I would have said, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to be present for the rest of the session. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, but I'd like to. I'd like to wrap up and get off the table. I didn't have any wherewithal to do that at the time, and it was, I you know, I had thirty more minutes to lay there and and not let her energy in. Um, and so you know the the I don't even not sure how I got to that story. I'm gonna just well yeah. I, I, yeah I mean well and this is where. I just listened to a, a, a webinar with Sonia Renee Taylor and a handful of other great folks. Oh, no, it was Adrian Marie Brown and maybe three or four other folks I hadn't heard of talking about uh, sort of this circular firing squad idea and that, like, you know, who's the most woke kind of. And I, I want to make sure that this this story isn't one of those moments, because I guarantee we have listeners who are like, oh, why was that bad? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. and. <laughs> And it's so bad. Like I, my skin was crawling. Yeah. I have been there. I have received that quote, quote compliment. Um, and I think that like, it's complicated why it's not okay. And mm -hmm. it really speaks to this um, thing that you described where like, I'm okay with trans people. I'm actively working on my biases. I have taken actual training, like all the way up to like, I can show up for whatever shows up here. And mm -hmm. I think that for me, my sense of what's wrong with that is that what underlies it is that I'm only saying I don't identify one way or the other because I don't understand, quote, how beautiful I am or sort of what, what can be encompassed in the, in the title woman. And right. so my thinking, me, the person who is saying I'm trans or neither, my thinking is so limited that I need this compassionate, expansive hearted person to help me see the beauty that I've been missing. Mm -hmm. And you've just made me feel super tiny. Corey Rivera <laughs> in the front, you have your hand up. I do. I, I would like to say that that the you are so beautiful, insert gender response, is just astoundingly lazy. Like astoundingly lazy care. And that's, that's <laughs> like you being like, well, 
there's this nice thing that I say to everyone. And I'm just going to say that because I really don't understand what you just told me, even though I asked a question and probably wasn't listening either. And <laughs> I don't have time to really, you know, process that. So we're just going to go with like my Hallmark card statement of the last 20 years. And that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went to the Simplicit Bias class a couple of months ago because it's required in my state. Um, and it was as horrific as I thought it was going to be. Thank God it was online. And one woman kept saying, I'm not racist because we are all one. Uh, yeah. And I was yeah. like, the last 20 years of your life. <laughs> that statement, that's how you yeah. avoid everything. So yeah. that's straight up lazy care. Like, yeah, it wasn't negative. It should be fine. Right. 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 Who doesn't a... want to be told they're beautiful? Who doesn't want I don't want to be told I'm beautiful, but like. No. <laughs> and it, you know, the other thing about that is it centers it centered her reality co- completely, Definitely. right? So it's like, if you walk in and, and this is a, I, I have not changed my name as a result of my gender journey, but plenty of people have. And it's like, you walk in and you say, you know, my name is, you know, my name is Frank. And the person says, well, I think you're a Sarah. Yep. So I'm going to call you Sarah, right? Like I come in and I say, I'm non-binary. And you say, but I think you're a woman. So I'm going to tell you how beautiful you are. Right? Like, it's like, right. You see something else, but you don't get to, you don't get to decide. (laughs) And it's like, we, we wouldn't do that in so many other ways, except to your point, Corey, when all of a sudden it's just uh, too much work. Well, and I would say even because the few times that I, the way I learned that you don't bother to push back on these people is that I pushed back and was, was met with serious fragility. Um, and just, and I think that this is the inspiration for it is actually, I am deeply uncomfortable with what you're doing to how I understand womanhood and gender. And so I'm going to push this on you so that I can just stop worrying about it. <laughs> and, it, you Absolutely. know, and I don't, you know, this is, I think this is when we struggle with this in our end of life courses also, because people, you know, we talk about all of the words people say when they're in uncomfortable situations that don't need to be said, that are actually mm-hmm. about them trying to squirm out of the discomfort they're experiencing. And uh-huh. it's a very human experience. I'm yeah. not saying you're a terrible person for me looking the way I look, making you ask questions, right? Like the world is not designed for people who look like me or for your brain to automatically integrate this. And I need you as a provider to have the self-awareness that what you're doing is not supportive to me. And that actually Mm -hmm. you're sort of trying to protect yourself and that now I feel small and there's a distance between us that makes it hard for me to receive any of the positivity that might otherwise happen. Word. Absolutely. Oh, I had forgot. It's been so long since somebody's (laughs) tried to convince me how, what a beautiful woman I am. I forgot how horrible that is, but yeah. And (laughs) and you know, Cal, I'm, I'm struck with a little bit that your, your listeners might actually be noticing a, um, a a little bit of conflict between what we were talking about a few minutes ago and what we're talking about now, right? Like we approach this with this, 
you know, real commitment to helping people understand and to grow and to be, um, you know, be with them in the challenge of changing these, these assumptions. And then we start, and then we get to this and, and we both are like, yeah, boom, no, no good bam. over. No that less. was over the line. You, <laughs> I don't push back on. I just wait to get out of the room. No right? trans like, so soup we, for you. <laughs> <laughs> right? Where do those two things come together? And I think for me, and, and, and I think we're probably all different, but I, I think for me, it's like, if I can feel you listening, even if you're squirming, I can, I can, I can know the human condition of squirming and needing to like resist and you're having inner dialogue that's not pretty and whatever. If I can feel you listening, then I'll stay. Yeah. Now you can go too far. Like you give me too many of those in a row and I'm done. Right. But if I can feel you listening, like the, you know, people who come to my classes, clients who come to see me that don't recognize, don't know um, that I'm trans and they come in and, and, and I can see them trying to work with that. And, and I'm there, I will stay in it with you. Yes. But as soon as you negate, as soon as you do something that makes me feel small and like you're in charge, yeah. If you took my power and you made me feel small and it seems to be about your discomfort, boom, you're not going to listen to me anyway. Yeah. So why should I go to my educator mode? Why should I give you the work of all that compassion? Plus, I'm here to get care from you. If you're also a provider, I'm here to get care from you. Yeah. And I know what I do to make sure that people getting care from me feel like they are the center of the room. Yeah. So I hold you to a standard that's pretty high. And yeah. I, want you to put, I want you to put me at the center. Well, and My I think that self. is that key. Like you, you had said earlier um, in the first section of this episode about the importance of context. And I think code switching is entirely context dependent. And Completely. I, I am... I will, in fact, talk to the person at 7-Eleven for much longer than probably is appropriate if they're, if they're listening and we're like having a conversation. But if I am on your table, on your, in your exam room, I am not here to help you process how weird I seem to you, mm -hmm. right? Like I might answer a question or two, but when it's clear that you think you're at the circus in 1920, I'm done. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that is, that really is the difference, that it's not you know, we have a joke at Healwell that we never really answer a question. We say, it depends, <laughs> right? And because it, it does, like Virtually the, curi always does. the curiosity itself is not harmful. It's the way it's expressed. It's the context in which it's expressed. Some of these things can't be learned without interpersonal interaction. But yeah. like you said, read the room. Like, what's my role right now? What's your role? Mm -hmm. Who's the vulnerable party? How do we do this in a way that is respectful of everyone growing and everyone being seen? And I just think that, I mean, it breaks my heart that the massage profession is not interested in giving us CEs that grow our self-awareness, because that's really what this boils down to. It's like, we're never going to be experts at this, but if we can embrace the reality of that, that would go a real long way. That would go so far. <laughs>
Yeah. Well, you know, we're trying, Cal. Yes, we are. We are fighting the good we fight. We will keep pushing. These CEs are, are, they're out there. They're out there. We're going to get them. Find them. Yes. Um, it, I, it brings up another interesting part of code switching for me, um, which we haven't talked about, which is as the provider in the room. And I have a client, uh, thinking one client in particular, who um, straight cis woman, uh, been seeing me forever um, and like has a bunch of gay male friends and sort of feels like she has a certain fluency in gay life. Mm-hmm. And that means she knows like kind of some of the jokes. And for years, I mean, I my practice is a, tr- uh, my group practice that I ran until uh, earlier this year Uh, It was a trans and queer centered practice. Like it was pretty clear when you walked in who we were and who I am as, you know, they, them pronouns, transgender, like, and she insisted, even after years and years of seeing me um, on calling me a lesbian, which for me is not a term that fits particularly Mm -hmm. because I don't identify as a woman and a lesbian is a woman who loves other women or has, you know, intimate relationships with other women. So it really didn't fit. And also, cause I told you, that's not how I identify. Right. <laughs> I mean, just, I just wanted to make sure nobody missed right. that. <laughs> cause, cause I never said that was my identity. Right. right. So don't put it on me. That's a mm-hmm. good lesson for everyone listening. Indeed. Use the language people offer you. Don't add any words. Um, but I bought a Subaru. Oh, well, yeah, you did. You're not and trying to get kicked out of the club. I know. I needed it to go with my toaster oven. <laughs> and I, she could not stop making the Subaru joke. And wow. like appointment, after, like multiple appointments was talking about how I, you know, I was it's just like, you know, fulfilling the lesbian stereotype and, you know, and I, I had to choose, and some of it was this stuff about what, how much work, and I don't like, you know, interrupting people to tell them my pronouns and have that moment happen, blah, 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 blah. But a lot of it was wrestling with, and, and certainly many more people than just that client, wrestling with once we're in the room. I am a client-centered practitioner. That is my 100% frame on what I do inside that room. Yeah. So you're there to be seen and cared for. What I bring into the room about me should be about how it benefits you. So there are times where self-disclosure really does belong in the room because it really helps that client feel safe. Yeah. Have have access to resources. They didn't know things like that. But if somebody is projecting something onto me and they're not being uh, hateful about it, there's no, there's no um, aggressive uh, energy in it. They're just not paying attention. They're just ignorant about what I'm (laughs) Totally. It's, it's a matter of saying, but this is their time. 
And I'm here to heal their body and their energy. And if what I do is I put them in a place where they are backpedaling and having all of those squirmy feelings about yeah. my identity, you know, I've essentially put them on the table, unable to do their work. Like I was unable to do mine yeah. with the beautiful comment. Yep. And so really thinking about like, gosh, where is the line between this, this erodes me too much to be a good healer and my information would erode you too much to be able to receive the healing work as you are meant to. And negotiating that, and you know, for me, the the ratio is much, 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 much more time spent in the how do I center the client and not put them in that perspective. But sometimes there's that little margin where you got to think about it from the other perspective. And at some point, I I did say like jokingly, I kind of met her in the joke about the Subaru to say, you know, that would be really funny if I identified as a lesbian. <laughs> and you know Uh, it kind of worked yeah but you know I still see her and I don't think she gets it no she's sort of working on pronouns um and then there's the I'm just gonna keep going with this because there's the other side of the practitioner code switching and I want to share it because I've been thinking about it the other side is when I amplify that Mm-hmm. Because the person who's come in the room, the thing that's going to make them the, feel the safest is the, the truest expression of all of me that I can put in the room. Yes. So it's this completely different action that is still rooted in that client-centeredness, right? For me, I'm finding ways and, you know, the, the code switching really comes in here, right? Like I'm finding ways to drop into conversation, different parts of my experience. I'm, you know, thinking about how I talk, what words I choose, the depth of my voice, how I present myself, right? I'm thinking about all of those things, but instead of like a, a, a me-centric, how do I get treated as my true self? It's a them centric. It's the client centric way of code switching, because that is a huge part of what I do is make safe space for trans people. And I have people come from all over the place to be in my space for that. So I got to be my transiest trans self. Yeah. um, To make room for that. And, you know, I've had people come out as trans through the process of working with me and being on my table because they finally got, you know, an hour every two weeks with a trans person who was openly trans and they could ask me things and they could be in my presence and they could see how I move. So, yeah. you know, wow. The different ends of that. Yeah. We had, tool. we had Chase Anderson on a couple of weeks ago, Rebecca referred to him earlier and, and Chase on, I don't know that there are many places you can find Chase on the internet where he doesn't say that he is the black gay unicorn Phoenix of pediatric psychiatry. And he has these beautiful purple fingernails, um, muscly kind of open purple disco shirt when he was on the show this last time. And he was talking exactly about that, that he doesn't necessarily, um, like change his outfit depending on which patients he's going to see that day. But he is aware that by being as chase as he can, he is saying to his patients, this is a thing you can be. Mm -hmm. And that here I am 
a person who has education and a job and is in a helping profession yeah. and like is a functioning quote unquote member of society, another rabbit hole we could go down, but like, mm-hmm. this isn't, these are all okay things to be. And yeah. I think sometimes just existing as you are is a unique mirror that brings a value that is hard to even quantify. hundred percent. And I would yeah. say it is one of the most central and fulfilling parts of the role I play as a healer in the world. Like when I can do, when I can do that and see the way it is changing someone's life and experience by showing up and being my true self, like we're both so validated. Yeah. Like it is an electricity in the room when I'm with clients in that capacity. Definitely. I I feel like that you just put a bow on it. That is like the perfect place for us to end at least this conversation, which could probably go on for days longer. Um, yeah, I think we could probably talk till dinner, but sure. Um, we should you. talk again because this yes. was a lot of fun. Let's, let's do. And and let's we will make sure that our listeners can find your book when it's out. Um, it yep. sounded like you're still in the final process, so it's not. I am in the available. I'm yet. in the final process, and they can find um, my website is francisreed.com. And on there is a page about the book where cool. you can sign up to hear when it goes on pre-sale and when it goes awesome. on sale. Um, and that it is, it is a book for people who bind um, and how to care for their body. And half of it is body work oriented. So how to do self-treatment and half of it is um, information about binding and how to do it healthily. Um, but I'll just say um, I am I am hopeful that a lot of practitioners and people who want to be able to help people who bind when they end up in their treatment rooms um, will also be interested in this book. I think I will in the coming years be writing one for practitioners, which I'm really excited about, but there's so much, if, you know, if you already know the body and you can get the information about what binding is doing to it, you can actually you know, this is a way of moving yourself from that. I'm okay with trans people. I've gone to one training to, I actually really have done some homework on how to do treatment on some things related to gender. So um, I, you can tell it's all I'm doing with my life these days and I'm super excited about it. (laughs) It should be out uh, in the spring uh, of 2023 and you can, you can keep up and follow on my website. Awesome. And binding, for those of you who don't know, is what um, trans masculine folks do uh, when they have breasts and they want to make it look like they don't have breasts. And they use any number of things from ace bandages to professionally produced uh, very tight undergarments to sort of flatten their breasts. I mean, it's a compression. Mm -hmm. It's a compression garment, just like, you know, so many other reasons that we wear compression things. Um, But it's a compression garment for the chest tissue. And I just have to throw in there. Don't ever wear an ACE bandage as your binder. Don't do it. It's done and we need to stop it. Yes. (laughs) So yes. (laughs) See, we sure, we for sure have to have you back to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. I would love to talk about binding else. It's uh, you know, it's the rabbit hole. I will geek out about forever. Awesome. All right. (laughs) All right. Thanks for being with us, Francis. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Cal. Thank you, you, Corey. Thank you, Rebecca. I really enjoyed being here. Thank you so much. 
This was great. This has been another episode of Interdisciplinary. Uh, all of Francis's links will be in the show notes. So click them, learn yourself up. And if you want to continue this conversation, come and join us in the HealWell community, community.healwell.org. Um, or look on our Patreon, patreon.com slash interdisciplinary for fun stuff and probably some cursing. I don't know. Definitely. Um, madness. But lots of fun stuff. Yes. And thank you for Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.